Hello. Before we get down to cinema, I would like to draw your attention to our Patreon. Regular listeners will know that these podcasts are supported by Quad, our home cinema in Derby, UK. But as Quad is a charity, we want to make Cinelet as self-sustainable as possible. So, to that end, we have set up a two-tier way in which you can support Cinelit. For our 35mm Cinefans, you'll get a bonus additional episode each month where we will be deep diving into an area of cinema that will be exclusive to Patreon subscribers for at least six months before it arrives like a late dinner guest on the regular feed. Plus, you get the episodes a week in advance of the main feed release. But if you want to support us and don't feel that pressing need to have the additional podcast each month, but still want that warm, satisfying feeling of being part of the Cinelit success story then you can become an 8mm Cinefan, where you can donate and get our heartfelt thanks. Head over to the Patreon page and subscribe if you can. However, we know that times are hard at the moment, so please do not feel you need to subscribe if you are not able. We'll still be putting out new, free-to-listen-to episodes on a regular basis throughout the year. Now let's get back to your regular scheduled broadcast. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Cinelit Podcast. Today we are getting as real as the world of film gets. We're talking biopics, genuine, real-life people immortalised in celluloid, only slightly more attractive. I'm your host, Adam Marsh, and I'm joined by Cinelit's resident expert, Daryl Buxton. How are you, Daryl? I'm good, thanks, Adam. Yeah, looking forward to this one. Might be a bit different to some of the podcasts we normally do, but uh, yeah, it could be an interesting subject, I think. Okay, so yeah, so so we're talking biopics this week, and um, we were kind of inspired to do so because of the release of Spencer, which is coming out this month, um, with Kirsten Stewart playing Princess Diana. But realistically, we could have done this podcast any time of the year, and there's bound to be something on release that will tie into the biopic uh, theme. Yeah, um, I mean they 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 just roll off the conveyor belt, don't they? You know, it does. It does seem to be. Um, a, a go-to genre for Hollywood uh, is, is the biopic slash true story, I guess because of the inbuilt history and the inbuilt audience for that for that person or whoever they biopic they're doing of. There's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a bit like rebooting Karate Kid. There's already an inbuilt awareness sure. of Karate Kid, so that gives them a head start. Doing a biopic of Johnny Cash, you've already got Johnny Cash's audiences there. Let's let's kick on with that, you know. Yeah, because it does tend to be famous people or notorious people, people that have got a fan base that have films made about them. You don't you don't get films being made about Joe Bloggs, do you? So uh, Un- unless um, I guess unless the situation is 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 famous or yeah interesting, yeah. you know, like we were yeah, talking yeah. about. Um, I, I guess like criminals. I guess that one of the one one yeah. angle of the biopic is the crime film biopic. Yeah. You know, like yeah. the Goodfellas and things like that, where it's specifically about the world of crime. Um, I mean, what happens then is you get into this thing where do you, how how do you make a distinction between a biopic and a, a a docudrama, and then even further out there, the based on a true story film you know because because you could say that goodfellas is is sort of all three you know films like it sort of touch on all sorts of territory mm. first thing i want to pick up on adam is um is we we both pronounced the word already in, in different ways and uh and, um, and i i i always favor the pronunciation biopic because i presume that the word is derived from uh, the phrase biographical motion picture. But uh, a lot of people use your pronunciation these days and, and go biopic. So, uh, well, you, know, you know, I'm, 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 I'm never sure which is right. But... Language is an ever-evolving beast, Daryl. Um, <laughs> uh, there's no right or wrong answers when... If everyone's <laughs> saying it in one way, then that's the yeah, way yeah. it's being said, you, I'm afraid. You, you say biopic, I'll say biopic, and we'll, we'll carry that on all the way through then. So, uh, yeah, let's call the whole thing off exactly yeah yeah Yeah. so where where do you want to start i mean because like i said it's such it is it's such a big genre if if we want to classify it as a genre 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the first the first question is that is the one that we've already sort of mentioned. Really, let's let's delve into that a little bit more. Why do filmmakers and film producers and film studios get drawn to the the biopic? Um, as as you've already said, there's 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 a sense that it's an almost guaranteed money spinner, or you're, you're not going to lose money on on one of these films. Is, is there also a sense of sort of self-celebration? Because a lot of these films are made about people like musicians and about film stars and about film directors. Well, I, I, I guess they're attractive to uh, they're attractive to studios for the reasons we've pointed out, in that, that there's already an inbuilt audience and inbuilt awareness of the person. But I think they're attractive to directors and particularly actors in that they are creating a character that they can... They all say it's not mimicry. Every actor who plays a famous person in a movie go, "Oh no, it's got to go beyond mimicry." And it's like, yeah, yeah, it does. But yeah, yeah. You're, you're, mimic, you're mimicking the person, aren't you? Really, that's what you're doing yeah. uh, with a little bit more drama. But you know, it's like that's what they're doing, and it gives them a head start. It also gives them a shoe in at the Oscars as well. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. pretty much, pretty much. You, if you tackle a famous person. In in a in, in a relatively high profile biopic, you're in, you're in with the show for getting an Oscar nomination. Yeah, and and we we we've seen so many nominees sure. or or winners, and and often people that come out of nowhere, you know, and and win because they're playing someone that you've heard of. It's almost like the 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 original the 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 subject is winning the Oscar, not not the actor, you know. But I think I think actors love love this. Actors, film actors are always looking for a challenge. They always like doing something. I mean, how many of them love going back to the stage and and coming over to London, for instance, and appearing in a, a run of a play? You know, so they're always looking for some kind of acting challenge. And I, and I think this sort of movie gives them that you know as you say it's it sort of pitched somewhere they have to find a level somewhere between impersonation and performance and without sort of and they they have to stick right in between that and i think actors find that as a, a real exciting challenge something that they uh, um will will sort of test them to their limit you know and how, how do you think audiences respond to that? How do you think audiences respond when they go and see something like Bohemian Rhapsody or Spencer or something? Do they come out complaining that, oh, it's a little bit too close to the character? Or, or it, could you equally complain, oh, they've, they've, they've completely missed it? Or um, is there this middle ground where people sort of say, well, they didn't really look exactly like the person, but the performance was good, and they got to the heart of them. You know, um, how how do you think audiences react? Well, I think it's I think there's, there's different attitudes towards different categories. I think the music biopic 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 um, is, is 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 almost a separate beast in that you are going to see Queen. Mm. You are you are getting another opportunity to see Queen in concert, and it's kind of the same, but it's not. But it's enough. It's like seeing a West End jukebox musical. It's that kind of experience yeah. for these kind of films. So you things like Mamma Mia, you things like Bohemian Rhapsody, where you, you want the mimicry to be great, but ultimately it's the music that you're interested yeah. in. So it's that's saying, a the, the audience, when, when they pay for their ticket, they're, they're already loving the show. You, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, well, well, particularly in the last three or four years, I mean, post Mamma Mia, when you're looking at those kind of films, Mamma Mia is not specifically a biopic, but... It, it, it appeals to the same audience as as, yeah. um, as a jukebox musical, as jukebox yeah, musical does, and also which Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocket Man to some extent yeah. also tapped into that built-in audience, and you're here to hear the greatest hits of these bands, the greatest hits movie in some ways. I think that's a relatively new thing. I don't think people were going out to see Coal Miner's Daughter in the late seventies expecting a greatest hits of Loretta Lynn. They were they were there for no. the drama of her life, um, which was the interesting thing. Yeah. But 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 then again, the jukebox musical wasn't a thing back then either. So no. you wouldn't you wouldn't be going to see a West End show for that either, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I I think the the nature of entertainment has changed and maybe blanded out a little, you know. Not not that not that Rocket Man is bland, uh, mind you. You know, we've talked about that on previous podcasts. Yeah. And I, I think that pitched the musical biopic to perfection because it had the star involved quite heavily as, as a producer. And um, he gave 
his blessing for them to do a sort of warts and all thing, you know, which which they then did, you know, brilliantly. Uh, Dexter Fletcher Fletcher really took that on, and yeah, it's it's a jukebox musical. You get all the hits, but they do play around with the songs more than 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 most films of that type. They really make them part of the narrative and part of the drama. And then, as we know, the the film's basically a new Ken Russell movie. You know, it's just so out there. I I, I was watching Rocket Man, thinking, yeah, this this is exactly how to do this sort of thing and picked it picked it as my film of the year you know that but it year. is the yeah. exception to the rule it on is, those it things it's well, not it's well. not the norm of those kind of musicals yeah, yeah. There's, there's so many different categories i mean like i think the audiences when they know that person well or feel yeah. like they know that person well like it's uh, i don't know like a, a alfred hitchcock biopic or yeah. it's marilyn monroe uh, or it's something like that or, or winston churchill which we've had a, a raft of those ones recently you get that kind of well i think i know what that character is and how close is the performance to that character yeah that doesn't really apply once you get to like older characters i don't think people are looking at elizabeth as a biopic, mm. you know, I don't think they're looking at Lawrence of Arabia as a as a biopic, even. Yeah, you know, and yet yeah. it is. You know, it's like yeah. those kind of movies kind of get a different. People look at them differently. I think. Yeah, they, yeah. I mean, the the theme themes are very interesting across the decades because if you go back to the nineteen thirties and forties, there were a lot of biopics on based around people like Louis Pasteur and people there were sort of historical ones and a lot of them based on sort of medicine and on advances in science and things like that and and um, I, I think the themes in 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 the past few decades and, and going back maybe over the past 30 or 40 years and especially in the 21st century I've, I've jotted a few down I, I think we, we get we get sort of royalty we get sports yeah. we get we get politics which is quite interesting we'll talk about that uh, pop and rock music as we've said filmmakers and actors which is so sort of incestuous and so uh, inside you know but, but I, I suppose it's almost bound to happen so yeah you, you, you're maybe not going to get a, um, a, a an equivalent of a, a sort of the story of Louis Pasteur you know or, or um, I mean it's incredible in, in in the middle in the middle of the the great run of um, of Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire movies you know one of their films was the story of Irene and Vernon Castle, you know, <laughs> and and again, you you know, you you you're not going to get that sort of thing in well, a sort of franchise now. Well, I don't know. You say you I mean you say that, but the last twenty years, the, the 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 sort of like the genius biopic, the biopics of geniuses, yeah, has has been prevalent at the Oscars. I suppose like yeah, a beautiful, a beautiful mind, mind and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, my left foot. I guess the, those yeah. kind of things. Uh, shine. Uh, the Jeffrey Rush thing, you know, yeah. you you have those sort of like real life figures that that are famous within their fields. I guess yeah. famous is not well, the right well, word. The, I'd I'd argue there that their 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 fame is what attracts a writer to them. But then when when the the the, the storyline of the film develops. It's about their sort of foibles and about their, their the, the sort of weird aspects of their characters and about their problems with 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 um, mental or physical health, you know. And the, it's not so much about the, the 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 fact that they are a scientist or an academic. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, it, Oscar has a big love of disability um, characters, don't they? Where they have, yeah, oh, yeah. it's an actor with a disability, you know, played by a, an able-bodied actor. Yeah, that's the other great Oscar winner, isn't it? You know, that and playing Freddie Mercury, you know, it's... Uh, and if you can combine the two in a film, which which is what I think this strand of movie that you're talking about does, you know, the My Left Foots and the, the Beautiful Minds, I think they do that, and that's that's like Oscar gold, isn't it, you know? Yeah. Well, d- definitely traditionally, whether that'll be going forward, I'm not sure. But yeah, I mean, because it's because it's such, such a wide genre. There's so many different areas that you can look at. Where, where do you want to start, Daryl? Because I mean, like, for me, the most successful biopics are less biopics and snapshots of certain moments of time in one this, person's life. That's a brilliant comment, Adam. We, I've I've got that written down as a topic to discuss. Yeah. So you get you get biopics that try to sort of span the life of somebody, and they often fail because how do you do that in two hours? You know, you you get ones that 
you know, if, if it's a movie star, for instance, you, 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 you probably get a brief scene of them pretending to act when they're six years old or something, and then bang, you're, you're into the... That happens in Rocket Man, you know. It's, uh, you, you get the little mini Elton out on the street, and then suddenly we're, we're into the real deal, you know. So that's a bit of a, a formula. But, yeah, um, I, I, I think often, the, you know, some very, very good ones and, and some really, really bad ones as well, it has to be said, do have this little focus on a particular period of time. And it's often, it's often before the person became famous. It's often done where it's a, it's all about them building up to their fame. Two examples of that recently. One I thought was very, very good. One I thought was appalling were um, uh, England is Mine, the, the film about Morrissey and uh, Stardust, the film about David Bowie's early career um, mm-hmm. and trying to break America. And... Um, I take it you've seen both of those. I, I hope you agree with me on which was the good one and which wasn't. So uh, I, I, I really liked England is Mine. I, I thought, uh, I'm, I'm not sure what Morrissey's opinion of it was, but uh, I, I liked how low-key it was. I liked, um, I thought it was so clever that they made it as a kitchen sink drama, which absolutely got to the heart of what, what not what Morrissey's about, but what what his art is about, you know, and and... I, I thought that was so clever to do that and really to sort of capture part of his character that was still developing by aping his own favourite movies. I think it's a difficult one to um, do a straight biopic of now because I think what he meant to people in the 80s is almost in direct contrast of what he oh, yeah, says it's, it's, and does yeah, now. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a hard one to... He doesn't have a clear run-through in his yeah. life. So, so again, are, are, you, are you thinking that... Uh, or were the, were the makers thinking that, uh, OK... We're, we're going to do. We're going to take this particular area of Morrissey's life and, and and end with with him just about to form a band, you know, because that will appeal to all the people who love him who've now turned against him because they they don't agree with what he's about in in the twenty twenties, you know. Yeah, I, I think that. I, think that, I mean, cynically, I think they're looking at it and saying like, even even in spite of his recent alienation of his of a lot of his Smiths fan base. There's still a big fan base out there for the Smiths. Oh, yeah, yeah. And having a biopic that says, oh, it's all years before that, don't worry about that. It's years before he said all those horrible things. Yeah. And and that's fine. Um, yeah, and and I think new new fans, people that have sort of come to, to somebody like that, a figure like that years later, which seems to be happening a lot at the moment with people like Kurt Cobain and so on. You know, I, I always look at this and think, this is like me liking... Bing Crosby in, in 1975 or something, you know, and not that there's anything wrong with liking Bing Crosby in 1975, which is probably the point, you know, but uh, but I, I do think that new fans, especially and younger fans of, of, of these people that we've sort of grown up listening to, um, like to see and like to find out more about where their heroes have come from, you know, and I, th- I think England is mine did that perfectly. Because it's all about that. It's all about the formative years. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those ones where you where you watch it and it's got like, oh, and there's where you got the idea of that, and where's that? Oh, that's where a, that's a where little bit, a, a, a bit like Indiana Jones finding his hat and his whip. Yes, you know? yeah. yeah. Oh, and that's how he got. I mean, it's like in some ways, I don't want to know where he got the ideas for that. And also, it's all bullshit anyway. It's and not. That, exactly. It's not. You, it's you not know. real. So yeah. it's like it's, it's a scriptwriter's idea, isn't exactly. it? And 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 most often possibly with pressure from the producers to, to sort of put scenes like that in. Um, I think a, a little later on, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about um, what are the cliches of the biopic and what are the sort of high points and what are the pitfalls, you know, because there are a lot of areas that you can get into with these films where they they can they can easily go wrong. And they're, they're, again, I've, I've, I've got a sort of list of, uh, yeah, I mean, Stardust is a spectacular example of how not to do not to do a biopic. To the point yeah. where my, where my dad rang me up. Yeah. My dad watches like a handful of films a year. My dad rang me up to tell me how bad it was. 
Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I made it. You know, he was that angry at it. He was like, it was like, why have you made this horrible? Why film? does this film exist? You're, 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 you're in the film business. Exactly. Why does this film exist? It's you haven't programmed that, have you? Oh God. <laughs> But uh, it could have been so good as well. There's so much potential in Bowie's early career. And if it, if you go if you went back even further, and I think if you did a film about him in the '60s rather than the sort of trying to crack America stuff, um, it was just so low key. I mean, the the story of Bowie in America in the '70s is all about meeting up with really interesting characters like Rodney Bingenheimer and Lou Reed and so on, and and they they sort of put those little bits in the film. Like, they're, they're sort of flashpoints, you know, they're there and they're gone. It's like, oh, we'll wheel on this figure and then this figure. And, of course, the, the, the crucial thing with that and with the, uh, with, with the film that was done about Jimi Hendrix uh, a, a, a few years ago, we, I, I forget which member of Outcast it was. Andre. Who played it. Andre, yeah, yeah. That as well, I think, failed because um, there's this crucial thing with music biopics get the rights to the music mm. and neither of those did and it never ever 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 works no. can you think of an instance where it has no no it, <laughs> well the point of people going to watch these movies is the music i mean i think bowie is a really tricky one to do because he's such a distinctive unique presence and you you couldn't do a career embracing one. No. you couldn't you couldn't even do a career embracing series on Bowie. no we we you, you know. can't i mean i mean velvet goldmine kind of taps into that unofficial official kind of period with a with this heavy nods to bowie in that in that yeah, film yeah. but again there? that was that was great because it comes it, it wasn't bowie it was a sort no. of facsimile of bowie and a facsimile of iggy pop and it concentrated on particular points in his career rather than trying to sort of embrace the whole thing I, I i love velvet gold mine and i thought that actually worked better than an official biopic would yeah have done. yeah no i agree um, and an official if you'd done a movie about oh lou reed mick rock uh iggy pop bowie roxy music appearing on the scene people doing gigs at the scala cinema you know that 1971 to 73 period that follows on from what happens in stardust to do a film like that would not have been as good as velvet gold mine yeah, to actually yeah. do the real thing. I think it, Velvet Goldmine took a little bit of the pressure off by 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 saying to Jonathan Rhys Myers and to Ewan McGregor, right, you're not playing David Bowie, you're not playing Iggy Pop, and I think that takes a bit of the pressure off an actor. It does, and it also gives you free reign to to, to push scenes in the right way. Yeah. So like, yeah. I, I, the the drama of this scene is this, but that's not what Bowie did. It doesn't matter because yeah, yeah. that's the drama in yeah. this scene. And also, as they do in Velvet Goldmine, to go to places where you might be sued if it was the real person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. To go to extremes, you know, and to say, yeah, our characters are going to do this. Do you think that Iggy Pop did this? Do you think that David Bowie, Lou Reed or whoever it is did this? Do you think that Freddie Mercury did this? You know, that's that's how you can sort of get away with it. And and I, I, I think Velvet Goldmine is a perfect example of a film that, that suggests another way you know we don't necessarily have to have straight biopics you can shift slightly to the side and make something better yeah absolutely what do you believe is the best way of doing a music biopic because like like well like we talked about you have those moments and you've had very successful examples of uh, of like what we just said moments of time type of biopics like the morrissey one yeah. Um, maybe arguably like 24 hour party people as a, yeah. as a certain yeah. Part, yeah. period of time. Well, I think I that mean, works because it shifts the focus to one side of the musicians, which is quite clever in that respect. I'm going, I'm going to give you a name as my answer, Adam. Ken Russell. Okay. That's, how, that's how I want to see biopics. I've, I've had a dream for years of somebody doing a Mark Boland uh, movie, and I don't want to see the Mark Boland story. I, I've, in fact, I've actually sort of got this idea in my head of the final scene being Bolan and David Bowie appearing on TV together, rolling, falling off stage as, as they actually did in real life, but then sort of rolling around on the studio floor in, in a sort of homoerotic clinch. Then Bolan getting into his mini, which he didn't drive, but he would, he would in this movie. Um, and he did it a week later. It wasn't on the same day. But in this film, he'd get straight into the car, 
drive off on his own without his, his girlfriend Gloria with him, you know, he'd smash into the tree some way up the road. And as he did, it would sort of open up Sleepy Hollow style or something. And he'd sort of drive into, into the underworld and become the king of the underworld. And I, 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 my idea of a Mark Boland film is seems like that all the way through. I want it to be a fantasy, you know. And Ken Russell offered us that. And Dexter Fletcher sort of copied that that sort of style with Rocket Man, and there have been other people that have done it as well, and they're always fantastic. Russell, of course, did it, even with classical composers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, to, to make films like Marlowe and, and Listomania, which I think is his masterpiece, and it's basically a film about vampires and Frankenstein. It's got Ringo Starr as the Pope. It's got an exorcism. You know, it's it's very, very little to do with the life of Franz Liszt. And yet it's absolutely fantastic. But I think some of those ones tap into the, I mean, it's a similar thing with the artists biopics as well, where they kind of trying to tap into the creativity of the person yes, yeah. rather than the actual life story. So when you get things like Mr. Turner and you get those, those artist biopics, the visuals yeah, act yeah. as a metaphor for the people yeah. as well. Um, I think that's quite I, interesting. I think that, that's happened in particular in in, in films as far ranging as uh, Basquiat and mm. um, the, the the film that Willem uh, Willem Dafoe did about uh, Van Gogh a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. At Eternity's Gate or something, yeah, and uh, yeah, um, an amazing performance by Defoe in that. But again, the, the, the really well directed too. In that, it did precisely what you've just said there. It, it sort of showed us a little bit like the, the 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 Morrissey film in a way, but taking it further, taking it to that slight that slightly more heightened and fantastic level where you're actually seeing the, what the director and what the palette of the film is all about is trying to imitate the, the artist's art. And I think you, you, that's more difficult to do with a music biopic. And I, as I say, I, I think the makers of um, uh, England is mine sort of made, took a step towards that by setting it as a kitchen sink drama, but, uh, but they couldn't sort of, you can't really do that with Morrissey and you can't really do that with that sort of 60s, early 70s setting. You can't take that extra little leap and, you know, make make it the, the, the sort of colourful extravaganza or get inside the artist's head, you know, which is what I think the the, the painter biopics managed to do. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think with the Morrissey thing, you could have tapped into like 1950s melodrama uh, with him. I think yeah. I think that could have been the the, the stylistic routine, um, the Douglas Sirk style, I guess. Yeah, melodrama. Yeah. But I mean, moving on from the creative thing is that, that's that's kind of like an easy template to do. Easy, not easy, but that's like a template to how to do those movies. It's much more difficult to do that with Richard Nixon. Um, <laughs> Winston Churchill and people like yeah, that. Yeah. Nixon's um, an interesting figure there because there have been several biopics about him and several films where he's been used as a character as well. And uh, I think the very best one is Secret Honor, the Robert Altman film, which is simply a film play. And it's yeah. all about the performance. It's a one man show and it's all about focusing on the sweat on Philip Baker Hall's brow as he plays Richard Nixon. And then, then you go from that to something like All the President's Men, where he's 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 just a, a sort of back, he's a name in the background, you know. Mm. But he yeah, he's he's been treated by the biopic and by cinema in general in, in quite an interesting way and in in very diverse ways. So like with, with regards to like famous people like that. I mean, All the President's Men is a great film. Is it a biopic, though? That That isn't. I suppose you've got this distinction that we mentioned earlier. You've got biopics, you've got docudramas, and then you've got based on a true story. And I think they all blur into each other at times, but I think there are clear distinctions. And I'd, I'd call All the President's Men a docudrama leaning towards based on a true story. Yeah, no, I agree. I think we don't learn enough about the lead characters yeah for it Wouldn't to be classified Ernst as a biopic probably, exactly the, the, the real people probably think that oh this is a movie about me but then you know you would wouldn't you you know uh i i'd say yeah it's it's, it's a docudrama sort of shifting towards uh based on a true story movie um in, interesting comparison here to make would be uh, if, if we look at sports films and if we compare the films rush 
and Ford versus Ferrari or whatever its other title was, I forget. I'd say they're both films about motor racing. They're both based on, on real life incidents. I'd say that Rush is a, a biopic of, of Nicky Lauder and James Hunt. And and, um, and Ford versus Ferrari is something a little more sort of diverse and a little more sort of woolly. That's that's a based on a true story movie where I'd say Rush focuses so much on the rivalry that it becomes biographical. Mm, yeah, no. Well, I think that's the key difference, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is uh, who who is it about? It's the biopic, isn't it? Yeah. Like, for instance, you could have like uh, 127 hours. Is mm. is that a biopic? Yeah, again, that's that's based on a true story, I would say, yeah. you know, because the, the guy is, he is Joe Bloggs, he's, he's Joe Blow, isn't he? You know, we, we don't know who he is. And and so you go in, not with, you're interested in the subject, not in who the person is, whereas you go into Bohemian Rhapsody because you, you're a fan of Freddie Mercury. You yeah, know? yeah. You, no one's a fan of this guy getting trapped between two rocks, you know. And, yeah, we've got this film about Morris G. Flitcroft coming up in, in, mm. in the next few months, which is being trailered all over the place at the moment. And I must be Morris G. Flitcroft's number one fan. I have been waiting for this film since the 1970s. Uh, my dad was a keen golfer, and um, so as a teenager, I was sort of watching... Uh, I was sort of attending golf events with him and helping him caddy whenever he played, you know, at the local clubs. And so I'd be reading all of the sort of golf stories on the on the sports pages when everyone else was reading the football, you know. And this figure, Morris G. Flitcroft, emerged at the British Open one year. I don't think he'd ever played golf before, but because it was an open competition, by virtue of that, anybody can enter. He thought, I'll, I'll buy a bag of clubs out of Kay's catalogue or something and I'll have a go, you know. And he then slogs his way, way round the course in about 150 shots or something, you know, the, the worst ever. Aged about 14 or whatever I was at the time, I just thought, this guy's an anarchist. He's great. I love him. And his name has stuck in my mind ever since. And I'm so, so pleased that somebody's finally made a film about him. I can't wait for that. And so there's an example of a character that a lot of people won't know. And you will be going because it's it's a funny story. You know, you'll be going for the story. But I'd say that that may well be, I, I'd see that as being more of a biopic than, than 127 hours was, even though there are sort of similarities there. It's, it's, a, it's a news story that's being filmed rather than the life story of a character. But it's such a difficult area. And I think if you know the person, as I do with, with Flitcroft, I know his background, I know his story, I remember it from when I was a kid. I may well approach that film in a different way to um, to other members of the audience. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think there's a clear, I think as we talk about it more, there's a clear divide between those two ripped, ripped from the headlines of the day kind of storylines, uh, which, which posit particularly unique situations and the story of a person Involved in a unique situation, yeah. As as we're talking about the Phantom of the Open uh, film, that's that's about him. Whereas the other one is the unique situation is the, is yeah. the, is the, is the selling point, I guess. Yeah, and and again, you know, you can make a distinction there. You can say, well, if 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 we if we take an incident in the life of David Bowie, or we take a year in his life, as they did with with Stardust, you know. We can we'll treat that as a biopic because it's David Bowie. But what we're doing here is taking a few months in the life of, of someone who's bought a, a set of golf clubs out of a catalogue, you know. And and that may, even though that's the same thing, even though you're taking that little slice of life, because it's someone you've never heard of playing golf, that's less of a biopic and more of a a, a little slice of life in, incident, you know, and it, you're, you're making comedy out of that, you're making your drama out of that. And yeah, I'm I'm going to see the film because it's about this guy who's who's been this sort of uh, back of the mind hero of mine for for, for decades, you know. But uh, there aren't going to be many audience members like that. There aren't going to be many people who who know or remember this story, and um, it's going to be a sort of unique uh, incident for me, I think. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how other people respond to it. I I, I think it's going to be a good little film, and it seems to be getting very good reviews. But yeah, I, I think it's worth discussing in terms of what we're talking about today. But I think at the end of the day, it's it's not a biopic. I think if we have to sort of say, 
I guess, I guess until we see it, I don't, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not yeah. willing to be drawn on that matter just yet, Daryl. It depends on how much of his private life he goes into, how much of the background story, because that is, that is, that is more biopic than than say 127 hours where it's a man stuck between the rock. You know, yeah, I, I, I guess so. I, I guess so. And and I, as I say, it's 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 about his. It's not necessarily about what's happening to him either, which 127 hours is. That's the that's a a, a situation of endurance and of, of mm. trying to get out of a desperate situation. So the dramas within that. I think what we might get here with Morris G. Flickcroft is to find out something about his playful spirit and about his anarchic spirit and about why he does this. And yeah, that could lean it more into the, the territory of the conventional biopic. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it fits in with those things like Made in Dagenham, um, yeah. Pride, uh, Dream Horse from last year, where yeah, it is... Yeah. But of course, the, the difference there is that they focus on groups of people mm. Uh, rather than on an individual, and and can you really call something about a group of people a, a, a biopic? I don't. I again, I'd make a distinction. I, yeah, there I don't know. And I mean, say that's more. That's more of a based on a true story, or more of a docudrama, depending on how how sort of hard you you you, you go at it, and how. Um, I think the difference between a docudrama and a based on a true story is is about. I think a docudrama really aims for the facts. And based on a true story, tries to make an uplifting drama or or a downbeat drama out of the the, the real life situation. So so what's okay? Well, what's your take on things like the madness of King George or Henry V or the yeah, Shakespeare um, Julius Caesar um, anything like that? Because they're such historical figures. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it a biopic or is it a historical drama? You could probably answer that by lumping in the recent films about Queen Elizabeth II and about the the new one about uh, Princess Diana. You know, because they're royal figures as well. But we're we're definitely saying that that films about those characters and about politicians, you know, modern politicians, are. Very definitely biopics, I think. The, yeah, I think the further back in time you go, and then if, if you take sort of sources like Shakespeare and so on, um, that sort of dissipates it a little. It's an interesting question, that, because um, I, I, I think, yeah, it, 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 I think if you're dealing with figures like that in a modern context, if you're talking about people that have, have had these, these um, positions in life Either head of government or head of state or whatever within our lifetimes or within within sort of memory, I, I think they tend to get called biopics. Whereas Shakespeare adaptations tend to get called Shakespeare movies. <laughs> and um, and and if 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 you're doing an original drama about Henry VIII or somebody say, I think they they tend to be called historical dramas. Um, should should they all be lumped in together? I, th- I think that's the question. I think there's there's an argument to say maybe they should, but uh, I, think the, I, the, I don't I, think audiences see it like that. I think I think the argument that they're not is that well, you know, we don't really know a lot of that stuff. It's so far along ago. We, you know, Hollywood takes liberties with yeah, character yeah, and yeah, story yeah. for those things yeah. older. To which I would say rubbish because Hollywood yeah. takes liberties with films that were made by people that were alive yesterday. So yeah, it, yeah, it's yeah. The, the liberties that Hollywood takes exactly. are there in as, both. As, as we've said, look, look at Ken Russell, you know, uh, there's someone who takes any subject and just makes up whatever he likes. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, which I think is glorious. But you look at the Freddie, Mer- the Freddie Mercury thing as well, where he's like, on his way to the Live Aid concert where he goes and meets his parents and introduces, he does all those things on the way to the oh, Live yeah. Aid concert. Yeah. Is, well, like, like I've, ju- I've just gone through that scenario with, yeah, with yeah. Mark Bond. And I, I would love if anyone did his story for them to cram it all together like that and do it on purpose and make a virtue out of it. I, I, th- I think the thing with Bohemian Rhapsody is people came, certain people came out of that complaining about that and saying, oh, it wasn't the true story. It didn't happen like that. They crammed all these things together. I think it's possible to make a film like that and say to the audience, and I think Rocket Man does this to some extent, to actually go in guns blazing and say, look, we're going to mess this up and we are going to condense incidents and we're going to change names and we're going to we're going to sort of fuse characters together. But I'm doing it on purpose. I'm doing it 
as part of the art, you know. And I think Bohemian Rhapsody, and because of its production problems and so on, we know all about that. I, I, I think maybe that didn't quite go that far, and maybe it should have done. Um, there's there's a great story. I think it's on a I think it's on a documentary about Mot the Hoople, and there's a great story about them touring with Queen before Queen became famous, before they started having hits. And they're playing table tennis in the hotel one morning because there's nothing to do. And Freddie Mercury comes down from breakfast and he's just wearing a kimono and a pair of silver shorts. And Mott the Hoople are looking, even, even Mott the Hoople are sort of looking at him and, uh, and, and laughing and thinking, what's this vision that's just arrived at 10 o'clock in the morning, you know? And they're all laughing at him. And even, even the other members of Queen are, oh, Jesus, Freddie, what are you wearing, you know? And Freddie Mercury says, oh, what are we doing? We, are we playing ping pong, you know? And um, he picks up a bat and proceeds to destroy everybody over the next couple of hours and is playing to, like, Olympic level. And it's, it's, it's that type of story that I wish there were more of in Bohemian Rhapsody rather than just, oh, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened, AIDS Live Aid, you know, and and uh, um, it's it's a good it's a good movie and it's a great performance and it it, it deserved all the plaudits it got from uh, uh, Rami, Rami Malek, but uh, um, but uh, yeah, it could have been so much more, and I think Rocket Man showed the way that it could have gone, and and I, I wish I almost having seen Rocket Man, I always almost wish that Dexter Fletcher had been on board Bohemian Rhapsody from the start rather than sort yeah. of coming on for the final few weeks, because I think he could have took that to the sort of places I wanted it to go. Yeah, well, we, we will never know. I guess it'll be a while before we get another <laughs> another Queen biopic any anytime soon. Yeah. Um, what 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 do we think about the rise of the serial killer movie in context of what we're talking about? Does Ted Bundy have a fan base? You know. <laughs> uh, well, probably yes. I mean, true crime is a, <laughs> true crime is a huge genre, isn't it? So, and is that why we get so many of this type of film? Because you know, if if you go out and kill a bunch of people, you get a movie made about you. And should, th- should that be happening? You know. Well, that's 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 a that's a different type of question that we're looking at here. That's a more yeah, of a yeah. societal question than than a, than a than a podcast question. But I think with I think it ties in with a lot of the crime thing. I think the the extreme of crime um whether that's serial killers whether that's gangsters the uh, mobsters whether that's organized crime or bonnie and clyde or, or, or anything like that because of the extremities of the story it's always ripe for telling that in film history the fact that you can do it as a biopic because it's happened in real life kind of adds a bit of flavor to the story yeah i think um hence why we have so many crime yeah. What and could be described as biopics, you know? Yeah, a lot of the ones that were coming out about 20 years ago were actually just using the name of the killer as the title, you know? We had we had a, a Ted Bundy movie, we had an Ed Gein movie, you know? Um, and they were just using the name as a sort of stark title. And they they sort of, it sort of works. I, I, I sort of quite like that idea that you get the starkness of, of, of what this person was all about. In 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 doing that, but also it's sort of, there, there is this edge where you sort of think, well, is is using their name above the title a bit a, a bit celebratory, you know? That, I mean, uh, those movies are not as successful, though. Do you think not, about those? Man, I can't think of any. I think, any, I think they they play to their fan base. They, they, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of the most high. What's the most high profile? Serial killer. Thing. Yeah, well, there's certainly none none that has made as much money as 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 any Hannibal Lecter movie. There you know? you go, so yeah. I, I think fictional killers are, and I I think that maybe because there is that distance for an audience. You know that Hannibal Lecter is not real, yeah. and uh, um, yeah, I, I I think you you can you can get away with more there. Um, and I think yeah, also they, I think there's sort of like the romanticizing of of criminals and gangsters plays in for them as a, as a Hollywood character as well yeah. because you can you can romanticize uh, people robbing banks you can romanticize that kind of crime whereas a serial killer killing people <laughs> chopping the bodies up or whatever it's kind of hard to romanticize that in an art for an audience so yeah you, yeah you, you can't get that sort of like Bonnie and Clyde-esque feel for, yeah. for a movie about a serial killer 
Sure. And I think from a pure sort of dollars and cents perspective, yeah. any producer is looking at these and they're saying, well, yeah, if I want to make a film about John Wayne Gacy, you know, how many people are going to come and see it? And they they, they top that up first. They look at the, the circulation yeah. of True Crime magazine or whatever. And they think, yeah, we can get so many people in America to come. We'll get so many in Britain. Or, or nowadays, you know, streaming services will be looking at this. And of course, it, this sort of thing ex- exploded on, on streaming uh, services, hasn't it? You know, mm. But they're looking at the numbers and they're looking purely at the, the maths of it and saying, well, we know we're not going to attract everybody in the way that, that Mamma Mia does or something, you know. But what we are going to do is attract the fan base. We're going to attract the circulation of the magazines, you know, and we're going to attract the people that, that are into true crime. And they, they then devise and, and, and create the, uh, the budget figure accordingly. You yeah, know? yeah. And, uh, and they, they know they're going to make money, but they're not going to make a lot of money. But they will make a profit, you know. Yeah. yeah. So, but moving over into the, into the world of crime, I guess. Then, how how would you brandish things like Wolf of Wall Street, uh, Donny Brasco, Goodfellas? Yeah, again, are they, I, I, are they I, biopics I or crime they're, films? Are they're what? a bit. They're a bit of both because they 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 tell they they have a plot that tells a story so they're sort of based on a true story movies but the best of them focus intently on a real person at the who's who's at the heart of the story they're they're an interesting case because if we have this lineage from biopic to docudrama to based on a true story they skip the docudrama step and they go straight they they have elements of of either end of that yeah, I mean, uh, for me, for me, they are biopics because you get to know those characters. Granted, they are they are characters going through specifically intense periods of their life. Yeah, yeah. But you do get to know you you get to know the Donny Brasco character. You get to know the the character, the lead character from from Goodfellas, the Ray Liotta character. Yes, yeah, yeah. it's his story. Yes. That obviously tells a wider one. Played, played across a, a canvas. Yeah. But yeah, yeah very, very Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street, you get to know that character yeah. um in, in a way that you wouldn't get from a yeah based on a true story, yeah. I think. Scor- Scorsese's good at these. He's it? very you good, know? yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, I, he, I think Scorsese's a little bit of a forte. Well, I think he's very good at depicting these characters and leaving the audience to base their uh, moral judgments on them. Oh, yeah. He tends to do crime films, but he doesn't. He, he doesn't go so far as glamorizing them, but he doesn't go so far as as condemning them either. He yeah. leaves that open to the audience to to play around with. So it's like you could watch Wolf of Wall Street and come away thinking, "What a great movie! He was a lovely guy." <laughs> you yeah, could come yeah. away from that movie thinking, "My God, what a monster!" You know. You I know, know, I know. Um, uh, but Scorsese manages that in his fictional films as well. I think <laughs> so. Uh, but to, I mean, that brings us on to a point where are, are there directors that are particularly well suited to this? Because we've got Pablo Lorraine involved with with Spencer, and not many people are going to go and see Spencer because it's a Pablo Lorraine film but boy I am you know and I've, I've followed his career for, for you know 15 years now and uh, loved his early work loved the stuff that he was doing in Chile and since he he, he um, went Hollywood and started making English language movies he's he's banged out one biopic after the other you know um, if people that don't know Pablo Lorraine he was a Chilean director very sort of politically motivated but managing to to put politics into into sort of broader stories and his english language films have been Jackie, the the Jackie Kennedy movie, Neruda about Pablo Neruda, and now Spencer about uh, Diana Spencer. So the the west sees him as as Mr. Biopic and and I think rightly so because he's damn good at them. Well what's what's your take on on Neruda in particular compared to say Jackie? Yeah, I, I, I think he had to, had, making the films almost back to back, I think he had to, so he, he couldn't just treat the subject in the same way. And um, uh, I think he had to make the films distinct from each other. And the, the, the subjects are so different that they they, they sort of help in, in that respect. But uh, um, yeah, I, I think he made a conscious effort to sort of make these films as a pair, but but different. 
I think it's an interesting thing about particularly the, the, what I what I'm interested in, in like particularly the royal family stuff. Um, yeah. I, I have not. I, I think he brings and and Jackie. She's not royal family, but she's practically but she's American, American royal family. family. Yeah. Uh, you're looking. You, you've got an outsider's view of yeah. the institution that they are bedded in, and I think that's what he brought to that. And I think Neruda was. Because he's Chilean and the poet's yeah. Chilean, it was less. It was less of the outsider's view. Yeah, so it's a, it's a looking more inter- in. Yeah, it is. It's a more yeah. internalized and personal story, and it's also one that the director can relate to. Yeah. Whereas he's probably had to do a pile of research on Jackie Kennedy and on Diana Spencer, and he he. Whereas you know that he's a fan of Neruda, and you can yeah, tell but, that from the but, film. But arguably, that's it's less successful. I think. For me, there is that. There is that. That's always the the possible pitfall. I I I would I would say that I I I liked it and I thought it I thought it was an artistic success. But yeah, is there is this case of is the director being close to the subject a, a boon or is it a potential pitfall? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, I, I have no interest in watching a Princess Diana biopic. However. I do have an interest in watching Pablo Larraín's. I want to see Pablo's new it, film. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I and, think his and take on it will be different. From what we've seen of it, it looks fantastic. I have to say, um, yeah. it's going to be interesting being in the audience for that because you're going to obviously. I think eighty percent of the audience, if not more, are going to be there because it's a film about the British royal family, and it's going to be interesting to see if Pablo Lorraine sort of messes with that a little bit yeah. and 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 tries to put a lot of himself in there. And I know that he can do that. We know that he can do that. And I wonder if it's going to be a film that maybe doesn't quite appeal to people in the way that they think it's going to. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Is there any other biopics you would like to draw attention to, Dale? What's your favourite biopics? Um, well, the, the, the first two names that I wrote down are the same name, actually. When I was preparing a list of, of things that we were going to dance in and out of and talk about, um, I wrote down the same surname. I wrote down the name Cheney. And uh, there's there's the Lon Chaney biopic. It's spelt differently, of course. Lon Chaney biopic from uh, 1957, uh, Man of a Thousand Faces, which I love because it's it's basically you know my one of my favourite actors of the silent era being played by my all time favourite actor James Cagney. So I'm the the, the film doesn't have a a, a, a a particularly great reputation but man if James Cagney's playing Lon Chaney I'm there and and <laughs> I, I think people who love old Hollywood and people who who love old Hollywood of of, of, of different uh, different eras will get a lot out of this and they'll, they'll get a real kick out of seeing Cagney playing Chaney I think it's good casting I think it's very very good casting because Cagney has got that same you know, sort of low level sort of quality that that, that Cheney had, you know, appe- appealing to the working man sort of thing. I, I think they're actors who both did that. And um, and uh, um, again, it takes lots and lots of liberties with the Lon Chaney story. But uh, I think if you know that story, you sort of go with it and you you like seeing things work out in a, in a, um, a slightly more Hollywood way than they actually did, you know. And, and then bringing us right up to date, I thought the story of Dick Cheney, Vice, a couple of years ago was fantastic. That that sort of did a Ken Russell, you know, it went mad with it. And uh, I, I really like that. But I think, I think the way, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Vice. I've not seen the Cheney biopics after I have to track that down uh, but I really enjoyed Vice a couple of years ago and I'm not a big fan uh, of, of of the director or the actor so mm. yeah, it, yeah. it really bowled me over um I think the ones that I, I I liked I mean there's a couple of horror horror type biopics similar to Lon Chaney's like Gods and Monsters yeah the James Whale the James Whale biopic which I thought was really really interesting yeah. and, and took a really nice uh, take on it and the other one's slightly different it's, uh, it's Willem Dafoe again in the shadow of the vampire the uh, yes. Nosferatu his performance in that is incredible um, oh, yeah. as Max, yeah. Max Shrek the you know the, yeah. the actor who played Nosferatu yeah. and well, of course what, what, the, what they do with that film is they do fantasise that as well they say yeah. he's a real vampire you know yeah, and, uh, um, what, what I love about films like that is they are very much biopics God, let's take Gods and Monsters as an, as yeah. an example 
it is it's a biopic of James Whale and it sort of focuses on the end of his life but then goes into flashback and tells you his history which is always a great way of doing these things um similar to the starting off as a kid and then launching into adult you know we we've got these little formulas that they use but what's interesting about gods and monsters and and what becomes a little sort of feature of a certain strand of biopic is if you're making a film about James Whale you have to cast all the people that he worked with as well. You need someone in there playing Boris Karloff. Mm. You need somebody playing Ernest Thesiger. That name's always hard to say. (laughs) Ernest Thesiger. Um, you need somebody playing Elsa Lanchester. You know, you, you need you need all. If you're making a film about a film director, you need all of the people that were around them, and a lot of those were famous people. So that's often a difficulty, and I think a reason why there aren't more films like this. You know, when when they make films about Hitchcock, and there were the two that came out together. You know, uh, Hitchcock and and the girl came out more or less roughly at the same time, you know, and uh, very different portrayals of Hitchcock, which is always interesting to sort of see a direct comparison of as, as we got the chance to. But then again, you've got to cast Janet Lee, you've got to cast Vera Miles, you know, and uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's easier, I think, for people to make a, a David Bowie story or a Morrissey story or um, something about a very singular individual rather than someone who brings all this baggage with them, you know. But I I like those films because I'm always interested to see how well they do the the, the sort of background casting. And, of course, there's always the opportunity for somebody to come on and play Janet Leigh and and steal the movie from, from... the, the guy playing Hitch, you know, or, or whatever the equivalent is. It's an interesting little sideline, I think, to the the, the, the sort of straightforward biopic. The, the, the final one I wanted to flag up is, and it's, it's, it's less about a biopic, it is a biopic, but it's about draw. I guess, what the, the appeal of it is drawing attention to a story or a world or a culture that people in the West generally know less about, and that is Persepolis. One yeah, of the last yeah. films we screened at Metro Cinema back in the day. Well, that was a fantastic depiction of a world and a biopic of a character, of a person that brought all those ingredients that you get from a biopic, but also brought the this is what it's like to live and grow up. Yes, it, it, it got it got the social yeah. comment through, it got the history through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'd agree that's that's a biopic, very definitely. You know, it, it's it's not a docudrama, it's not a snapshot of um, of an incident, it's very definitely the story of a person. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant example, I think. I I wanna I wanna sort of wrap things up today by I'll pose the question to you and I'll give you my answer as well. Just as a bit of fun, you know, if, if anyone made the Daryl story, who would Adam Marsh cast as me? Because I've got my casting for you. So Ooh, casting for you. Goodness me, Daryl. I've not even thought about that one. Um uh, I don't know. I might have to come back to that. Um I've, I've <laughs> put me on the spot there. Um I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess a Toby Jones. Would be in that world. I can, I can, I can see that. Yeah, I, and I'm happy to have to, the guy who played Alfred Hitchcock playing me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Toby Jones, I'll, I'll take Toby Jones in a pair of uh, round specs. Is, I, th- I think he could. I think he could bring the uh, the depth of character needed to portray Daryl Buxton on the big screen. <laughs> <laughs> no, no comment. No comment. So, anyway, so, I'm, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, who, the, who do you mean? There's, 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 there's only one guy for you. Adam. I'm a bit it's, worried that it's so many, so specific that oh, you know exactly, and I. I know who you're going to say, but I, I want to it's, hear it anyway. It's, it's, it's got to be Jack Black. <laughs> yeah, I, that that damn Black has followed me <laughs> all my life. Listeners, don't you agree? Don't you agree? Those of you that know Adam, you know. Well, we're we're on YouTube now with the uh, with the podcast, and do do we do we need to go visual with it? You know, so that people who don't know me and Adam can see what we look like. I'd, all yeah. I know is that when the High Fidelity came out, the six months after that was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> Uh, during that period where, oh, my God, you're so like Jack Black and that character as well. Like, oh, God. Yeah. yeah. But it's, 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 it's facially and in attitude and in, uh, you know, he, he, he's not got the accent, admittedly. You know, no. he, can't, he can't do Bolton. But... 
he might be able to he might be able to nail it down you know get a, get a big fat contract for Warburton to promote the bread and he'll be all right no worries he's, he's ver- that, he is that versatile I think he'd have a good go at it I think he would as well yeah I think he can uh, when he when when the will takes him yeah more more to the point when when they do the Jack Black biopic I think you're a shoe in so uh, <laughs> you know that could be your big Hollywood break so I think it'll have passed me by by the time that happens <laughs> Right, thank you very much, Daryl. Um, we will wrap up there on biopics. Um, obviously, we've nearly touched the surface of, of what we wanted to touch in, in this in the world of biopic. We didn't even talk about the Damned United, Daryl, which I'm surprised, being both Derby based, we didn't even touch the Damned United. Mr. Clough, yeah, and there's there's a perfect example of one where okay, you you make a film about Brian Clough, but you've got to cast Don Revy, Peter Taylor, the entire Leeds United football team, half of the Derby County football team, and the people. People going to that movie need you to get that right. Yeah. Um, and they did. They did. They did brilliantly. Stephen Graham as Billy Bremner was, was how, how great casting was that, you know. But, yeah, they got it. And, uh, yeah, Mr Clough um, got the film that I think he, he, he merited. I think he would have liked it. I think so. Too. I think it depicted him as a force of nature, which is kind of what he was always billed as, really. Yeah. So that's good. Cool. Anyway, we'll wrap up there. Uh, please do check out our Facebook page and our, as Daryl mentioned, our YouTube page. We are now on YouTube, so do check us out on the Quad YouTube page channel. They, you can listen to our podcast through the telly, through your own telly now. <laughs> Get us coming out through your telly. Crazy. We will be back in a couple of weeks' time with another great podcast, and we'll see you soon. Take care.